0: Good morning and welcome to the service again. I apologise if I'm a little bit rough, but I've had COVID the past couple of weeks. But I'm completely clear. I've been negative for a few days. Stella's had it as well. She's been in bed, but she's clear. So we're all okay. You can come and speak to us afterwards. I meant I had to catch up online. I've missed the last couple of Sundays. I know Beck had to cover everything last Sunday by herself because it was meant to be me, but she did a, a wonderful job. But I was watching uh, uh, the last two sermons online, and we're doing a little mini series. aren't we have three weeks mini series. So a fortnight ago, can you remember a fortnight ago? Who who preached a fortnight ago? Some old guy with you know belly and big muscles. Steve. That's right. It was Steve. Yeah. So he was talking, a fortnight ago, and he was talking about starting conversations. Remember that? But how do we start conversations with, with people? And he talked about, about crossing boundaries, different kind of boundaries that we might have to cross. He talked about being vulnerable, catching the person's attention, speaking to their need. And he was just trying to help and give us tools, ammunition to, to just create conversations with people. And then last week, a whole seven days ago, Bex was talking, she followed on from that about, okay, how do we tell our story? You know, what, what is that about? And she said it needed to be relational, to use the word, not a hit and run event, but a relationship. <clears throat> she said it, well, it needs to point to Jesus and it needs to be like a, a conversation, but make it good news, not miserable, like Justine's mate. Greenbelt. Remember that part of the story. Uh, and she talked about knowing like the, the summary of your story, the kernel. She talked about your elevator pitch. If you had a really short amount of time what could you blab out in that short amount of time? Do you know what, uh, what you would do? Well today we're on to the final part of this little mini series. What happens if just imagine this what happens if Somebody says, I'm interested. Tell me more about Jesus. I I want to become a Christian, I think, or or whatever the word is. You know, I'm interested. Tell me. Imagine that. Imagine if somebody actually responds positively to you. What do we do? What do we do in that crazy situation where somebody actually is interested in what you've been talking about? Panic! No, no, Oh, I wasn't expecting that. That wasn't part of the plan. So we're going to look at that this morning to see how do we do it if we get a response. So uh, let's just pray, Lord. I just pray that you will uh, allow our hearts and mind to be open to receiving what you want to say here this morning. Lord, change my words if necessary, as they go through the air so they make sense to to us and they penetrate our hearts and mind. Lord, allow us to be people desirous and wanting to to get a response and take people through that. Amen. So I thought I would use the words from our reading to get a a guide for us. And as I've Chose that passage. Was thinking about that passage, I thought, you know, I've read that passage loads and loads of times. It's not a. I'm sure for nearly probably every person here, they've heard that passage quite a few times before. But when I read it during the last couple of weeks, one word jumped out at me. Now I'm not going to tell you what it is. I'm going to read it again, and just see if one word jumps out at you. And if it's the same word, if everybody gets the same word, it's a magic trick, isn't it? That won't be the case, but I'm just going to read you these four verses again and see if one word in particular jumps out at you. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You know, there's lots of good words in there. There's lots of individual words that you could pick out and preach a whole seminar. I'm not going to do that. But one word jumped out at me that I'd never really noticed before. And that was the word doubted I don't know if that jumped out at you this morning you know I doubt I thought hang on a minute these disciples had just seen Jesus raised from the dead and it said go, you know, go to Galilee go up the mountain I'll meet you there and he does and they worshipped and doubted Yes, what's going on? I've never really thought about that before. What's what's going on? And I want that to be the, the starting point for our conversation. So I looked at this word, and you, you know I do this, and it's nothing fancy. Let me tell you. I thought, what does this word mean? So I, I get a Greek dictionary, and I spend ages looking at it and working it out, and looking at the what it, what that word means. It's only mentioned twice in the Bible. This particular word for doubt, and it it, it means to stand in two ways, double standing, or, or to, to waver, you know, to be a bit like this. You get that visual picture. And it's used just in one other place in the Bible. And that's in the story of when Jesus walks on water and calls Peter out of the boat. And it says this in Matthew chapter 14 and 29. So, so Jesus says to Peter, come. Peter got out the boat, walked on the water... And came towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind, he became afraid and started to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him, saying to him, why did you doubt? And it's the same word. It's this word, distazo. Now, Peter wasn't in a position of unbelief. Peter was standing on water. Peter got out of a boat and walked on water. But he doubted. He, he wavered. And that's the same word and the same situation that we get in our reading. First, to paraphrase what Peter was doing when he, when he said, Lord, save me. He was saying, Lord, I'm not sure if I can do this, you do it. Lord, I'm not sure if I can do this, you do it. And that was the thinking of some of the disciples as well. You see, the expectation of every good Jew was the Messiah would come and restore Israel to its kingdom brilliance. And the disciples thought that as well. After the resurrection in Acts chapter 1, in verse 6, this is what the disciples say to Jesus. Lord, well, I'll go back. So when they gathered together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you are going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Let me paraphrase that. Lord, are you going to do it now? And the disciples are asking Jesus that question. And they're standing on the mountain. And they're worshipping. But they're doubting as well. And they're saying to God, Jesus, when are you going to do it all? When are you going to sort it out? Why am I pushing that? Because Matthew then records what Jesus says. So they're worshipping and doubting. I don't know if you've ever worshipped and doubt. It seems to be a common thing. I do it all the time. They were worshipping and doubting. And they say to Jesus, you know, what I've just read. And what's Jesus' response? Well, his response is this. Go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them and teach them. Eh? But we're doubting. We're doubting. We're saying, when are you going to restore it all? When are you going to do it all? And Jesus says, I'm not going to do it. You're doubting. Well go and disciple and teach. That's his remedy. He doesn't say, well, just spend some more time in prayer then and that will sort out your doubting. He doesn't say, just go to church a bit more. Spend more time worshipping me. That will sort out your doubting. He doesn't say that. They're saying to Jesus, Jesus, when are you going to do it? And Jesus says, you're going to do it. And guess what? The disciples did it. He said to them, go. And they stayed. They stayed in Jerusalem for eight more years. Because they were doubting. They received the Holy Spirit and stayed. You know, doubting seemed to be a massive obstacle to the doing. To the I'm not good enough. I'm not capable. I'm not able. Why does Jesus just not do it? Why does God just not do it? They worshiped and doubted their calling. They worshiped and doubted what to do. They worshiped and didn't fully obey. And I thought, wow, that's Rob Milton. That's me. I do that all the time. It doesn't make me not a Christian. Peter was walking on water and doubted. You know, so that's a pretty high bar, isn't it? It doesn't make you not a believer. There's a different word in Greek for doubting your faith. It's not this one. It's not about that. It's about the idea of not wanting to do it, doubting you can do it and wanting Jesus to do it. And that's not how it's done. So when somebody responds and somebody says to you, I'm interested, and you doubt and go, that's not up to me. I'm not capable. Jesus, over to you. Somebody else. Somebody else better qualified. No. No. Jesus' followers doubted and Jesus said, okay, you're doubting. This is what you've got to do. You have to make disciples and you have to teach. Nobody else. Nobody else. Are you up for the challenge? No. Good. Are you doubting yourself? Yeah. Good. You know what the remedy is? Make disciples and teach. You. Nobody else. You were the disciples ready? They were a bunch of idiots, weren't they? They'd seen them rise from the dead and they doubted. They, they grew up into heaven, they get the Holy Spirit, they get the whole kabundle, and they still doubt. But eventually they got it sorted. And we know what happened, don't we? So, what does doing something look like? Well, let's go back to the, the verses. So they doubted, and Jesus says, This is what I want you to do. I want you to make disciples and teach. Make disciples and teach. He also said, and I'm not going to go into this this morning, baptise people as well. And we kind of do that kind of on a churchy basis. Baptising seems to be important. But I'm not going to focus on that. We've talked on that in other times. So when somebody comes to you, don't worry about knowing the magic prayer that you have to say with somebody. I want to encourage you to be part of their journey. Help them become part of a community. As Beck said last week, this is a relation, a relational thing. I got that word wrong in the first seven as well. A relational thing. Help people go on a journey of discipleship. Show someone how. To follow Jesus. Teach them Christian doctrine. The the Greek word that's used when when Jesus says teach them is the the same word that's used for doctrine. It's exactly the same word. Indoctrinate them, (laughs) you know, is, is, is specific. You know, teach them about what to believe. Tell them. That's a big, big challenge. The aim is not to get them to church. That's not the aim. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing, coming to church, but that's not the aim. It's not get them to church and hand them over to a professional. That's not the aim. That's not the goal. That's not how it works. It's about holding their hand and taking them on a journey Together. You know, I was doing some digging about Billy Graham because I'd heard that statistic and Billy Graham was talking about some regrets that he had in his life. Now, if you don't know who Billy Graham is, he's a guy that went, went around preaching in big stadiums. He preached to over 200 million people. That's a big stadium. It wasn't just one stadium. No. And thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands, of people came forward and said I want to become a Christian. And there is some statistical analysis of what happened to these people. And the analysis says that only 6% of these people had any ongoing relationship with Jesus after 1 year. 94% of people that came forward and said I want to follow Jesus didn't after 1 year. And he said he regrets that he didn't put in place a process for discipleship to help people on a discipleship journey. So what can we do? Yeah, listen, invite them to church. Invite them to Alpha. Invite them to Cafe Church. Invite them to missional communities. But it's vitally important that when you do that, you hold their hand and commit to them. Meet them on a one-to-one basis. Discuss questions with them. Allow them to mimic you. Imagine that. Imagine saying that to somebody. Oh, you haven't Just copy me. I'll show you how to live the Christian life. Bring them into your family. Answer the questions. Study the Bible together. Lead by example. Pray together. Let me summarise all that. Make disciples... And teach. That's what Jesus says to do. And he says it of you and of me. You know, when it comes to getting a response, I want to suggest and encourage a long-term approach. And as I've reflected on that, I've realised that I have utterly failed in this. I've not been willing to take on the commitment. but I want to encourage you to take somebody on a discipleship journey. It may take two or three years. It may take two or three of you to take one person on that journey. To teach, to disciple, to give them the foundations. But once you've done that, they're rooted forever. They're disciples and they can do it Again. We just need to get involved in doing it. And even if it takes two or three years for one person to become rooted before they can do the same thing, we all know the maths on that. That is a recipe for revival. That is a recipe over 10 or 15 or 20 years for unprecedented growth. If we would just commit to somebody for a relatively short period of time, Let me say this that when we do that, it needs to be warts and all. People need to see us for who we are. We cannot be seen to be knights in shining, uh, shining armour with all the answers. It needs to be authentic. People need to see our failings, our aspirations, our hopes. Just see us. You know, Steve said a, a line a fortnight ago. And he said, it's one beggar offering another beggar bread. That's what we are. You know, we're not anything in that respect, wonderful. We're just somebody who knows Jesus and trying to let somebody else know Jesus. The trouble is, we just don't do it. Like the disciples, we just stay in Jerusalem. So this morning, if you're thinking, yeah, but Robert, I'm not able to do this. That's fine. That puts you in the same place as the disciples. It puts you definitely in the same place as me and probably the same place as 99% of people in this room. It's a good place to be. In fact, it is the place where the disciples started from. Thinking that thought, Jesus said, you're not able to do it? Good, just go then. Just go and make disciples and teach. It puts you in the same boat as Peter. Wavering. Doubting. Perhaps it's a reason to ask yourself, do I know the Christian doctrine to teach? Could I chat about it with someone? Do I need to develop myself? That's a good question, eh? Do I need Develop myself? Do you ask yourself that question? You know, we always need to be looking at learning. There's never a time where our learning should be over. Myself and Stella do uh, fostering, we look after children who have got, got trauma. And I'm reading a book just now on child development and how the child brain develops. how how children who experience trauma how their brain develops because I want to learn more I want to be better at what I'm doing I want to help these children in a better way so does Stella Stella who is closer to 60 than 20 yeah I've left a reasonable margin there haven't I yeah she's decided to do an MA this year for two years And she's doing it on. I'm going to have written it down on family and child psychology. She wants to understand. She wants to look especially about adoption, and open adoption, and the the psychology and what goes on in these family situations. She wants to be of more help to children and families. She wants to develop herself. Do you want to develop yourself? Do you want to be a better version of you? You know. I've always got two or three Christian books on outside my bed, trying to just learn more about whatever it may be. You don't have to have a degree in theology. If you've never ever opened the Bible, that's the place to, to begin. Learning more. Jesus commands you to teach the doctrine. And I want to encourage you this morning to take steps to develop your ability. He doesn't say to you, If you don't know it, it's not your responsibility. He doesn't say that. If you are wavering, if you are doubtful, if you go, now Jesus, when are you going to do it? Jesus' response to that is to you. Disciple and teach what I've taught you. That's what he says. And I want to encourage you to do that. You know, go on a course, read a book. Go on to YouTube and you can ask for any Christian teaching. You'll, you'll get variety there. Speak to somebody. Do something to develop yourself so you can help others. And in doing so, you're going to help you walk with Jesus as well. We can all do better at this. We should all do better at this. But we need to start somewhere. I want to encourage you, wherever you're at, to keep on Developing your understanding of your Christian faith. Wherever you are, however you do it, there is so many different means. And we have a church of, of ways of helping you as well. So, but I want to remind you of the last thing that Jesus said as well. It's vitally important. This, this passage that Jesus said is so powerful. And the last thing he says to these disciples that are doubting is, and I We'll be with you always. He just knows how we're thinking. He knows how we're feeling. He knows our fears. He knows our anxieties. But he still tells us to do it. He doesn't say, Don't do it. He says, Disciple and teach. That's what you've got to do. When somebody responds, You disciple and you teach. But remember, you're not on your own. You have the supernatural power, the supernatural God with you. You have the Holy Spirit inside you as your comfort and your support and your strength. Remember that, you're not on your own. You do it in partnership with Jesus. So what does getting a response look like? To me, it looks like going on a journey. Discipling and teaching someone until they are firmly rooted and ready to disciple and teach some of them themselves. At some point in time, you know they will become a Christian, you know whatever that means that you know profess Jesus as a savior. But but I don't want them to be one of the six percent or one of the ninety-four percent. I want them to be one of the six percent. I want them to be disciples so that they can be of value to God's kingdom and replicate. It's not about a lifelong commitment to someone, but it is about a commitment to someone. And that is the challenge, isn't it? Is Rob Milton willing to commit to someone? Maybe for a couple of years. Maybe have to see somebody once a week for a couple of years Will I do that? I reflect on my life and I'm looking for people maybe in their 20s and I think, you know, if I had done that to somebody when they were 20 and at 23 they were firmly rooted and they did it and I did it again and at 26, you know, whatever that number is the four of us did it and did it again Kia, you know the maths, don't you? <coughs> so in summary, what am I saying this morning? Wavering is not a problem. In fact, it's the starting point for action. Doubting is not a problem. We can worship and doubt. Not an issue. It's just the starting point that Jesus wants you in for action. I want to encourage you to go on a journey with someone, decide To disciple someone. (coughs) And finally I'm saying. Do what you need to do. To be able to teach someone. Whatever level that is. Do what you need to do. To be able to teach one. That is God's plan. Doubting imperfect us. That's his plan. How's Jesus going to. Bring his kingdom in through us working with him, helping others on their journey